Amen. Quite a variety of song choices today. Dynamic. Dynamic. I like that. Thank you, Ben. Um, always an awesome thing to be able to come and worship with you guys on Sunday morning. It's a beautiful thing to be able to see uh, people stand in the gap for us when we're out of place. Uh, Ronnie and Debbie are somewhere up north. I asked him the other day, where are you going on vacation? He said, I don't know, just north of here. <laughs> and so they're, they're away getting some rest and relaxation, and I, I thank God to get an opportunity to do that. Art's also away today. Heather's grandfather passed away. Um, and they're in Louisiana, and uh, we'll be flying back today, so be praying for them. Uh, it's always amazing to see how our church stands in the gap when, when we have to be away, and so thank you so much for that. Interesting week. Did a sermon, or did a funeral yesterday for Susan Cook's dad, and um, there was a little lady standing at the door, one of the greeters, she was real small. There was a big guy named David, and there was a little lady named Ellie. Walked out just before the service, and Ellie said, uh, are you the pastor doing the service today? And I said, yes, ma'am, I am. And she said, well, you know, I, I've been reading the book of Genesis. And she said, I've never read the Bible much. And she said, but I just don't understand. She said, where did all these people come from? And I said, well, they, they came from Adam and Eve, the first man and woman that God created. And she said, you don't believe that, do you? I said, well, yes, ma'am, I do. That's what the Bible said. She said, well, I, I know that's what it says, but you don't believe that, do you? I said, well, yes, ma'am. I said, and the reason I believe that is because the, the Bible is the sole source of authority that we have. It's the Word of God. And so I do believe it. She said, oh, I've got so many questions I'd like to ask you. And, and I mean, this lady's probably in her 80s. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, Miss Ellie. Write, write your name down and give me a phone number. And, and I'll come and, and, and see you. She said, well, where do you live? I said, Smithville. She said, oh, that's too far for you to come. I said, well, I'm here today and I can come back. I'll be glad to do that. So after the service, Miss Ellie wrote on this piece of paper her name. And her words are, I really look forward to talking to you. And she's got her phone number. So I want you to pray for Miss Ellie Murphy. Ellie Murphy. Um, she doesn't know the Lord. That, that was obvious from our conversation. And uh, my plan is to go back and be able to share Christ with her. Because she needs to know the truth. Amen? She does. Truth is very important. So we're going to kind of build off of that this morning. Have you ever given much thought? To who put your body together the way it is? You ever thought about that? Who arranged all the parts of your body in the order that they exist? Fingers connected to the hand, connected to the wrist, connected to the arm, connected to the shoulder, and so on and so on and so on. Who put all that together? Well, David said in Psalms 139, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. 
Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They are innumerable. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up in the morning, David said, you are still with me. It's obvious that David and God had a long history together. As I was reading, preparing for this message, I, I read several different commentaries and different thoughts from scholars. And, and John MacArthur wrote these words, God has created us and recreated us and placed each of us in his body, which is the church, exactly where he wants us to be and equipped us to do exactly what he wants us to do. That's a very powerful statement, but honestly, that's something that we Christians don't think a whole lot about, about how all of it comes together. Well, I want you to know that I completely agree with everything that John wrote concerning the church. I believe God custom builds churches. God knows what he's doing. I've been saying that for years, that, that God knows what he, he wants a church to do when he plants you in a com particular community. He has a, a special need for a particular kind of church. And he knows how to put those churches where they need to be. And then he knows how to put the members in that body and all of their giftedness so that the work of God gets done in the way that he wants it to be done. So the principle that I learned a long, long time ago is simply this. Where God calls, what God calls you to do, God always provides the spiritual resources to be able to get the job done. I've been seeing that for a lot of years. I've certainly seen it over the last 18 years. I've been watching God do this faithfully in our church. And God has given us everything that we need, everything that we need, and even more. We don't realize how blessed we are as a church. God planted Harvest Fellowship right here on Battery Park for a specific reason. This could have been a housing project. But God said, no, I want to put a church there. He made that happen. Uh, this is an awesome location. We're right in the middle of our mission field. Thousands upon thousands of people every day drive by this piece of property. They live all around us. Look, God knew exactly what, ne what was needed to be able to reach the people with the good news about Jesus Christ. He knew. Um, He's already given us an amazing family and uh, to get that job done. Harvest is a great church. If I wasn't the pastor of Harvest, I'd still come be a part of Harvest. I just like it. I, I love what, what's going on here. You're an amazing church, and a lot of you are already a part of that team, uh, the, the, the team that God has put together, and more and more people are joining our team as time goes on and becoming part of our church, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing because every Christian should belong to a local church. Every Christian should. And every Christian should have a ministry that they passionately serve God in doing. And um, that's exactly why we do team ministry here. We don't have committees. We have teams. We want everybody to be involved. We all need a place and an environment to be able to serve our God. Again, MacArthur makes a very interesting statement. He's very conservative. Uh, we agree on a lot of things, not everything, but most things. 
But he writes these words. He says, a Christian who does not have a ministry is a contradiction. Let that sink in for just a minute. A Christian who does not have a ministry is a contradiction. He is disobedient and denies God the right to use him in the way he intends and for which he has gifted him. When we refuse to follow God's will and God's plan, we deny his authority and lordship as well as his wisdom and goodness. As members of Christ's body, we are not to do our own will, but the Lord's. Powerfully said. So who do you suppose knows the best way to put a church together? And who has authority to assemble the members of the church? I was talking to Mark Custolo the other day, and he told me about a pastor that had been in a church for about three years, and he's been trying to teach this to the church. And it's so new to that church that they've already come together and tried to figure out how to get rid of him. Just because he's preaching truth. Last week I mentioned that Peter spoke in, in a powerful way on the day of Pentecost. He had a powerful sermon. Not because he was a powerful preacher, but because God was speaking in a powerful way in that moment. And we talked about how Peter, after he preached, he gave an invitation for the people of the crowd to respond to Jesus Christ. And, and 3,000 people responded. That's right, 3,000 people decided that day to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The scripture says that Peter preached for a long time that day, strongly urging all of his listeners. He said, save yourself from this generation that has gone astray. In other words, come out from the crowd. Don't be a part of the world. Turn to God. In verse 41, it said, those who believed, they believed what Peter said. They believed his message about Jesus Christ. They were believers. They became believers, and they, say they were saved, and they were baptized, and they were added to the church about 3,000 people. So he's, he's talking about people who didn't know God, but all of a sudden decided to trust Christ, and they obeyed Christ. They did what the, the Lord said through Peter to do, and, and they were placed in the church by Christ. So as you can see, the Jerusalem church grew in membership significantly that day. 3,000 people were added to that church in a single day. That's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. What a way to start the church. Well, who caused that growth to happen? Who caused that? Should the credit be given to Peter and the apostles? They were certainly a part of the first great spiritual awakening there in Jerusalem. The first one that ever took place in the world. And what about the other disciples, the others that walked with Jesus? Should they be given credit as well? If you read all the the details about that story, you'll find that they were busy doing their part as well. And, and what about the new believers? It was them who were doing the joining. So was it their idea? Well, in Acts 2, verse 42, it said they joined. We're talking about those 3,000. They joined with the other believers and devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and fellowship and sharing in the Lord's Supper and in prayer and a deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders and, and all the believers met together constantly, constantly and shared everything they had. 
And they sold their possessions, not all at once, but as there was need. They sold their possessions and shared their proceeds with those who were in need. They worshiped together at the temple, at least to begin with, each day. And they met in homes for the Lord's Supper. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people, the favor of the community. The church was, you know, at that point, the church was in, in good standings with the community. Said they enjoyed the goodwill of all the people. And each day, he says, the Lord added to their group those who were being saved. The Lord added. Pretty much everybody in that church at that point had a role to play in its growth. And they were doing what they could do. But as you can see, it was the Lord and the, the Lord alone who added members to the church. So here's the truth. Salvation is uniquely the work of God. Salvation is uniquely the work of God. Nobody but God can save a lost soul. But what's interesting is that there's no lost soul that God can't save. That's a beautiful thing. Likewise, the church belongs to Jesus. It's his. And he alone decides who becomes a member of that church. In Ephesians 2.19, Paul writes, Now you who are not Jewish, in other words, all you Gentiles, who are, you're not foreigners or strangers any longer, but are citizens together with God's holy people. You belong to God's family. He says, you are like a building that was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself is the most important stone in that building. Why? He is the cornerstone. He's the first stone laid. Without him, nothing else would be built. He goes on in verse 21 to say, and that whole building is joined together in Christ. Notice it says, he makes it grow and become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Christ, you too are being built together with the Jews into a place, the church, where God lives through his spirit. There's a lot of truths that come out of this passage of scripture, things that I want you to take home with you. There are several that I think are spiritual facts. They're not opinions. They're not suggestions. So I want to give you three that are very important. The first is this. If a sinner gets saved, friends, God alone gets credit. Amen? God alone gets credit. I, I had several people come up to me yesterday and said, Oh, so you're the man that saved Mr. Ken. I said, No, ma'am, I'm not. I'm not, sir. I just did what God sent me here to do, and that was share the truth. And see the man come to Christ. I didn't save him. I can't save him. God can save him, and God did. You see, God has a plan to save sinners through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. And the good thing about that message is that Jesus completed that task that day on the cross. You got to remember that he, he's already made a way for people to be saved. A way has been made through Jesus. And you also have to remember that when Jesus was hanging on that cross, one of the last things he said was, it is finished. I've come and I've done what the Father wanted me to do, and it's done. That's why Peter said Jesus is the only one who can save people. His name is the only power in the world that has been given to save people. We must be saved through him. So if people are going to be saved, Jesus should get the credit. 
Another truth is that as Jesus saves sinners, he adds them to his family, which is the church. All the redeemed are brought together to form the church, the church universal. You got that? Please notice I didn't say the universal church. That's a whole different animal. That is a non-Christian cult. We're not going there. That's not what I said. I said the church universal. That is the entire membership of the church. That is all believers who have lived in the past. All believers that are living right now. And all that will be saved somewhere in the future between the time Jesus was ascended till the time that he comes back. That's the church. Paul says in Ephesians 5.25, Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it. Why? To make it belong to God. The church belongs to God. Christ used the word to make the church clean by washing it with water. He died so that he could give the church to himself like a bride in all of her beauty. He died so that the church could be pure and without fault, without evil or sin or any other wrong thing in it. When he adds, when he saves, when he saves sinners, he adds them to his family. But here's, here's another fact that we don't, we don't usually think about. I'm going to challenge you with it. And that is this. God automatically places... You in his family the moment he saves your soul. And it is also his plan to place you in a local church of his choosing. Of his choosing. That's an important piece. You see, your membership in the church universal is automatic the moment you're saved. It happens when you trust Christ. But if you move into a new community and you get uh, you, you go to the local church office of any Baptist church and you go in and you say, is, is my name on the roll of your church? You'll find that it's not. Not there. You see, local church membership is not automatic. It has to be requested by the person who desires to be a member. Uh, for you to be a member, you also have to meet the requirements of whatever particular church you're trying to, to join in order to become a member. And Harvest is no different. Uh, Harvest has three general basic requirements if you want to be a member at our church. First of all, you have to be a born-again Christian. You have to know Jesus Christ personally as your Lord and Savior. You have to trust Him to make things right between you and God. That's number one. Number two, you must be scripturally baptized by immersion not because baptism is a part of your salvation it is not it is a symbol of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ just like my wedding ring is not a requirement for me to be married to Joyce I said my vows to her we made our commitment to each other before we exchanged rings and put them on rings are just symbols baptism is just a symbol but we're told in scripture to be baptized and that's an important thing a third thing that must be done is you have to complete all five of our membership discovery classes. Why? Because we want you to know who we are. We want you to understand how we function. We want you to know what we believe. We want you to know how we're structured. That's all very, very important. So those three things are the requirements of membership. However, there's one more thing that I encourage you to take the time to figure out 
and to do. And, and, and this is absolutely critical. Absolutely. You need to know the will of God for your life. And you need to join the church that he wants you to join. The church he wants you to join. I believe that God has a particular church that he wants you to join. Yes, there are all kinds of churches out there. But I believe God has a particular church he wants you to join. And I would dare say that there are a lot of churches out there that God doesn't want you to join. Because God's got a plan for your life. Now, this may sound strange, but I'm going to say it anyway. Harvest Fellowship is not a church for everybody. See, I, I, I got your attention, didn't I? We're, we're not a church for everybody. Uh, I, I've said from day one, 18 years ago, that we're not a one-size church fits all. That we can't be everything to everybody. And in fact, God doesn't want us to be. God has brought this church together, give us the personality that he wants us to have to do a particular kind of ministry. And he may want you to be a part of us, or he may not want you to be a part of us. But I got news for you. He wants you to be a part of a local church somewhere. It's important that you know that. You see, God may want to send you to a certain church because of their need and your giftedness or else because of your need and their giftedness. God knows best what church to place you in. He has a master plan. And we need to know the will of God so that we can follow that master plan. God has a plan to use each of us in service in a particular ministry in a specific church. And listen, you, you may have the privilege. God gave me the privilege of doing this. He may give you the privilege of doing this. You may have the privilege of serving in several churches over the course of your lifetime. Pastors do that. People in the military do that. People who change jobs do that. They go from one community to another to another to another. And you should always find a local church to get involved in. You should. And, and, and th this is kind of a rule. When God finishes working with you in one place, he'll give you another assignment in a new place. And when God stops giving you assignments, guess what? He's going to take you to heaven. Because we should have a ministry assignment right up until the time the Lord takes us home. So if I could summarize all this, I'd just simply say, God has a church for you to join, and he wants to lead you to the church of his choosing, not yours, his. Been pastoring now over 30 years, and what I've learned is that Christians don't always join churches. Some just kind of float around out there. They don't always join churches. Sometimes that's because they, they know that they should plug in and get involved in the church, but they just choose not to. Sometimes there are people who just choose never to be involved in any kind of organized religion at all. And they just kind of float around. But what does the writer of Hebrews say? He says, think of the ways to encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. And then he says in verse 25, let us not neglect our meeting together, our coming together to worship, and, and all the things we do as a church. So he says, as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now, that the day of his coming back is drawing near. I don't know about you, but I just sense that that day is fastly approaching. The day that the Lord comes back. Well, I've also learned through the years that people don't always join the church that God wants them to join. 
There are a lot of floaters out there that are just floating around, but there are also a lot of shoppers. Through the years, I've noticed that people will shop for churches for different reasons. Sometimes they're looking for a lively church, a church that's on fire for God, a church that when they, when they pull up in a parking lot, they, they see the windows going like this because the music is so loud, you know? Sometimes people look for churches where they can go in and they can claim a piece of territory and they can get a position. Others are looking for a church because they're looking for a church that's going to minister to them without giving any kind of consideration to what God's going to use them to do to minister to the others. And then there are some that look for church that have a particular worship style. And that's kind of understandable. Some even look for a baby bear-sized church while others look for a papa bear-sized church. And some just have to have a mama bear-sized church where things are not too hot and things are not too cold, but they're just right, kind of in the middle. But do you remember what Jesus said about that? I think Jesus said it well. Revelation 3, he says, I know what you do, that you're not too hot or cold. I wish that you were hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm ready to spit you out of my mouth. Wow, what a powerful statement. Jesus said that. Those aren't my words, those are Jesus' words. So make note. The Apostle Paul wrote, and this is the, 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 the theme of this message this morning, the passage of Scripture where all this comes from, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18, and then verse 24. Paul writes, but in fact God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wants them to be. Verse 24 said, God has combined the members of the body. I know and you know that God puts all the pieces of our body together in the order that he desires. He, he knows how to put us together. And I'm glad that my, my hand is not coming out the top of my head and that my eyes are not in my big toe. You understand my point? God knows how to put us together. And God has done and is doing the same thing as he brings the membership of the church together. God made us all different. No two people are 100% identical. There are identical twins in this world. But if you look at them close enough, there's a little bit of difference. They may look really close, but they're not identical. And, and no two churches are identical. That's why... When you are a member of a church and you move into another area and you start looking for another church, you have trouble. It's because you're looking for the same church you left. You'll never find that. You'll never find that. God will give you a new church, but it won't be like the one you had. No two churches are identical. They're all differently assembled for purpose. The New Testament gives us a number of images and metaphors that are used to describe the, the, the church. The Bible often speaks in many places about the church being a family where people are loved and they're nurtured and they're, they're kept together and, and they grow together. There are times when the church is referred to as a house which represents security and safety and stability. Perhaps Paul's favorite analogy of the church is that of the body, the body of Christ. And he says it over and over and over again throughout his letters. Pastor Roger Spradlin said a body is not an organization, but a living organism. There are different aspects of the body, such as eyes and hands and feet. 
Sometimes, or someone who is, an, who is athletic is said to be coordinated. That is, each member of his or her body fulfills its specific function and it works in harmony with all the other members. So if you apply that to the church, the, the church is, is not an organization. We're a living organism. Why? Because we have a living Lord. Our Lord is alive and we're living human beings. And so we're, we're a living organism as the church. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 verse 1. And so dear brothers and sisters I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind that he will accept. When you think of what he has done for you, is this too much to ask? He said, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. He says, as God's messengers, I give each of you this warning. Be honest in your estimate of yourself, measuring your value by how much faith God has given you. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are all parts of his one body and each of us has a different work to do. And since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other. We belong to each other and each of us needs all the others. He says God has given each of us the ability to do certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out when you have faith that God is speaking through you. And if your gift is that of serving others, then serve them well. If you are a teacher, do a good job of teaching. And if your gift is to encourage others, do it. If you have money, share it generously. If God has given you uh, leadership ability, then take the responsibility serious. And uh, if you have the gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love each other. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Stand on the side of the good. and Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Paul wrote the Corinthians. Very interesting church. If you study the church of Corinth, they, they came from a very pagan background. Very pagan. Very worldly church. But Paul was trying to teach them and watch the Spirit of God transform them. And he reminds them of who they are in Christ. He says in verse 18, But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Verse 20 says, but now there, uh, there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. That'd be like one of our greeters saying to somebody who cuts grass here at the church, nobody really needs you, you know. Or, or like a, an adult Sunday school teacher saying to a nursery worker, I don't think you're necessary. Guys, that doesn't work here. I believe and I teach 
in my membership class that every member is important and that every member has both a place in ministry in the body of Christ. Amen? That's what Scripture teaches. We have no unimportant members in Harvest. Every member of Harvest is important. When we have a hurting member in the body like Susan yesterday, we should all enter into that pain in some way with them. And, and I thank God for you. Uh, we were well represented as a church for a funeral yesterday, a memorial service that's 30, 33 miles away from here for a man that most of you never even seen. But you showed up. Why? Because Susan was hurting and her family was hurting and you were there. And I thank God for you. When a member of our church rejoices, we should join them and rejoice with them. Take part in that joy. Why? Because that's all a part of being a part of the family of God. But when one member refuses to use their unique God-given ability, that's when the body suffers. And that's when the body is weakened. You've heard it said, no man is an island, right? No man is an island. That little phrase has been tossed around for a long time. Well... Roger Spradlin again said, in order to be useful to God, we must not only recognize our dependence upon Him, but also accept and nurture our interdependence upon one another. And I want you to know that that can only be done through church membership. We, we all have a need as Christians to belong, to belong to a church, to the church where God wants us to be and serve. And, and we all need to realize that as members, we can be connected both as family and in function. Family and in function. Well, have you noticed I haven't mentioned Tony Evans yet today? <laughs> Some of you are probably wondering, where, where's that Tony Evans quote today? Well, I don't want to disappoint you, so I have you one. But put your seatbelt on, okay? He speaks the truth. Tony says, while, the church, while church membership is not a requirement for salvation. It is a requirement for proper spiritual development. By definition, church membership is the commitment of a believer to identify with and be dynamically involved with a local body of people who are under the authority of Jesus Christ. And he says the goal is for a church member to develop into a disciple of the Lord. Think of church as a, an environment where you can become the disciple that God wants you to be. By the way, he goes on to write, no church membership means limited or no discipleship, and that is outright rebellion against the express will of God. That's hard to swallow, but it's true. Folks, it is extremely important for all of us to understand that so many of the benefits and blessings that come with our relationship to Christ are best realized in the church. So I want us to think about for a minute about some blessings. And there, there, there's many, but I'm only going to talk to you about three. Three blessings that I think are realized best in the church. The first is the fact that being a part of a church family is the best way to identify yourself as a genuine believer. Most every time you or I let somebody know that we're a Christian, the very, very first question that will come out of their mouth is, 
And what church do you belong to? What church do you belong to? You see, even lost people understand that if you claim to be a Christian, then you ought to have a church. You ought to be a part of a church family. You ought to belong. I mean, how, how can a professional baseball player or a professional football player, how can they play if they have no team? They don't. They don't. They have to get on the team to be able to play. And, and listen, it's, it's the little things that matter. Your car parked out in that parking lot speaks volumes on Sunday to the unchurched world. I mean, they're, they're driving by. If you go to a, a, a new town and you drive in town and you're looking for a place to eat, where do you stop? Where do you stop to eat? Do you stop at a restaurant where there's no church or no cars parked in the parking lot? No. I'm not going to stop at, at one either that's slap full and people are parked across the road because I don't want to wait in line for an hour and a half. But, but you, you're going to stop somewhere where you know there's good food inside. Your car is parked out here, says to the community, every time they drive by, man, there's something going on in that church. Speaks volume. You know, we, we, and, and what is it, when you, when you got stickers on your car that says Harvest Fellowship, that says a lot. When you wear your T-shirts around town, you know, we, we need some new T-shirts. Would you all agree? How many, how many would like to have a new Harvest t-shirt? I'm just taking a census here today. All right, so we're going to get some ordered. I've got some ideas for some new t-shirts. Long sleeve okay? All right, it's about wintertime. All right, you're on my, I got you. You know, I want people to know that I, I'm a Christian. I want, know, I want people to know that I'm a part of Harvest. I watched somebody the other day attend one of our gatherings who'd not been able to be a part of any of our gatherings for a, a, a considerable time. But as they mingled among the people that were there in that gathering that particular time, I saw tears in their eyes because they realized what they'd been missing. We're family, and it's a beautiful thing. Jesus said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's a powerful testimony for the church, uh, for the community to see when we come together from all different backgrounds and races and and from social status. Paul says in Christ there's no difference between Jews or Greeks or slave or free persons, male or female. You are all the same in Christ. Think about it. You cannot. You cannot be the, the body of Christ on your own. It's impossible. It takes a church family to be the body of Christ. Paul says now all of you together are Christ's body and each one of you is separate a separate and necessary part of it he said here's a list of some of the members that God has placed in the body of Christ and he goes on to give that list for you to best be your best witness that you can possibly be for Christ you you need that vital connection to the church that that's a truth here's the second truth the church membership can also help you grow spiritually to spiritual maturity Everybody seems to thrive and grow better when they're connected, when they're connected to other believers, spiritual peers who can inspire you and grow alongside you. you. You were never meant to be a Christian that is alone. Solomon says, as iron sharpens iron, so people can improve each other. So you're never going to grow spiritually as a spectator for you to grow, for you to be a part of what God wants you to be. It's kind of like a ball player. You have to get in the game, and to get in the game, you got to join the team. 
In Ephesians 4.16, Paul says, Under God's direction, under the direction of the Lord, the whole body is fitted together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Folks, that, you know, God, God is always meant for spiritual development, your spiritual development to take place in the local church. Rick Warren writes in his, his famous book, Purpose Driven Church. He says that over 50 times in the New Testament, the phrase one another or each other is used. He said we are commanded to love each other, to pray for each other, to encourage each other, to admonish each other, to greet each other, to serve each other, to teach each other, to accept each other, to honor each other, to bear each other's burdens, to forgive each other, to submit to each other, and to be devoted to each other, and many, many other mutual tasks. He said that is biblical membership. It's true. It's true. One more fact. The relationships that you build through church membership can help you stay strong in the Lord. We need each other. We need people to hold us accountable. We need people to mentor us. We need people to help us not fall into sin. The last time I checked, no one in this room is immune to temptation. Amen? We all still have a sin nature that's intact. And so, given the right situation, we're all going to sin. Paul even says that if you think you're standing strong, if you think you're okay, you don't think you're a target for the devil, be careful for you too may fall into the same sin. We need each other. God well knows our weaknesses and our natural tendencies. And so, so he has established the church so that healthy believers can help struggling believers to get back on track with God. The writer of Hebrews says, you must warn each other. Well, to warn somebody, you have to be in fellowship with them. And you have to be watching what's going on in their life as well as in yours. You must Warn each other every day as long as it is called today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. James, good old James says, My dear brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders away from the truth, does that ever happen? Yes. If any one of you ever wanders away from the truth and is brought back again, you can be sure that the one who brings that person back will save that sinner from death, literally from physical death sometimes, and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. There, there's just so many benefits. Being a part of a church family, more than I've got time to talk to you about today, but I want to remind you of one more thing that I think is important. To all of us, we would say, and I mentioned this briefly last week, that our salvation is a personal thing with us. It should be. Because you're making a personal decision to trust a personal God. So it is personal. But listen, God never intended for it to be private. Never intended for it to be private. He saved each of us to share our lives in community with other believers within the context of the local church. Yes, you're a part of the church universal. That's automatic. But you should find a local church to be a part of and be a part of it in, in good standing with God and with the people. 
Again, Tony Evans writes, If all of us in the body don't play the part that God has called us to play, then the ministry of the church will be stymied. That, that means it'll be hindered. It'll be quenched. It'll be squashed. And to the degree that we stymie the church, accordingly we will lose God's blessings and incur God's judgment. Everybody is important to God. Everybody is important to the body of Christ. God calls all believers to use their God-given gifts within the context of the local church. To build up the body of Christ. To serve God's kingdom. To bring glory to our wonderful God. My question for all of us is, what are we doing? What are we doing in the context of the local church? Let's pray together. Father. Thank you so much that we don't have to guess at this. We don't have to imagine what the church is supposed to be. We don't have to speculate. Your word is very clear. Your truth sets us on a course and a path that will lead us to be everything God you called us, saved us, and created us to be. So, Father, thank you for truth today. Thank you for your word. And thank you for your Holy Spirit that speaks and moves in, in a powerful way, in an unseen way, in our hearts, that stirs our hearts. Sometimes, sometimes we're frustrated by the word of God because we're not being obedient. But other times, Lord, we're convicted in a way that is redemptive and a way that is designed to mature us and, and to help us grow spiritually. I know this, God, through your word and through your will, harvest exists today, not for our glory, but for your glory. So, Lord, help us all today to search our hearts within, a, within, our, within our being to know whether we're doing everything you've called us to do. If not, Lord, help us. Help us to be obedient because that's where we receive your greatest blessings and that's where you, you receive the greatest glory. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to respond to you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Will you stand with me? We do what God's put on your heart to do is the Word of God and the Spirit.